dancing over me and I will see your mercy your faithfulness is clear to see your constant every day Every breath I breathe, an invitation to believe you are creating something good. Though this season doesn't tell my story, I know you move mountains for me. You're just that good, so I'll give thanks to God. He's more than enough, and He knows what I need. Oh, I'll give thanks to God when I don't have enough, because He's more than enough, and He knows what I need. Yeah, He knows what I need. silence I choose to believe you're working in the waiting though the future isn't clear to me I trust you anyway every breath I breathe an invitation to believe are creating something good though this season doesn't tell my story i know you'll move mountains for me you're just that good so i'll give thanks to god when i don't have enough because he's more than Why do I worry? Why do I worry? God knows what I need. Why do I worry? Why do I worry? Why do I worry? God knows what I need. Why do I worry?
goodness I would be desperate without your love slave to the darkness if it wasn't for the cross but you have won me with your kindness chase me Perfect. Take a moment. Go ahead and meet some folks around you. Say hello. Try and move around a little bit. Do as COVID comfortable as you feel comfortable with, whatever that means for you and your neighbors. Tell them hello. If you haven't seen them in a while, tell them you're glad to see them. If you've never seen them, tell them welcome. Say hi to a few people and try and meet some of your neighbors.
under policy with everybody. Once you've had a chance to say hello and greet the folks around you, you can grab a quick seat. We'll share a few announcements together, and then we will jump back into worship this morning. Well, first and foremost, happy Mother's Day. If you are a mother, we are happy for you and happy that you are here. That's your big Mother's Day sermon, um, so enjoy that. But we are glad that you're here and welcome. My name is Trub Prater. I'm lead pastor here at the Vine Community Church. We are blessed to have you with us. Um, we are easing back into life, and we are glad that you are here and a part of it. So if you're visiting with us or you're visiting family or you're here celebrating Mother's Day, we are, uh, we are super glad um, to have you. So welcome, welcome. If you are here for the first time, though, we would love to have record of that, love to know that you are here, love to follow up with you and talk a bit more about our community and our church. There's a guest card in your chair. We'd love for you to fill that out. Let us know that you are here. On the back side of that, if you have a prayer request or just something you want to share with the community, we would love to hear about that. So those prayer requests are on there. We take very seriously the opportunity to pray over those. And so please take a moment and flat out let us know that, that you were here. And so uh, we can know about that. You can leave that. You can tear that off. Leave it under your chair. Or you can put it in our offering box back there in the back of the room. We don't pass a plate. We just ask if you want to support our life and make sure you do it. Or through our online community called Realm. Realm is how we stay connected throughout the week. We share announcements, updates, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we have got the iPad, or one of them at least, uh, up and running, COVID-free, out front. So if uh, you're not signed up on Realm, go out by the kids' area on your way out, punch in your email address, and we will get you all signed up. It's really simple. It comes straight to your email. You can download the app. It's a great way to just kind of know about everything that's happening, including you can manage and monitor all your giving online and do all kinds of stuff from there. Get involved with groups, uh, join a women's Bible study group, life groups, things like that. They're all available there. Um, and so if you walk out of here and forget, you can always go to our website, thevineokc.com, click on that link, it'll take you to the same exact place. So we are kind of eased back into life. All of our life groups are meeting. They're meeting kind of all over the city. We have some that meet up here, some that meet in homes. There's a list of those on the website. We'd love for you to get plugged in. We have a women's Bible study that meets up here on Monday nights. We'd love for you to be a part of that as well, as well as a prayer time that meets before that. People are just gathering together just to spend time in prayer. And so we'd love for you to be a part of any number of of those things. We do have a couple of other kind of new things going on this month. Uh, next week we're uh, doing some baptisms, and so if you have never been baptized, or if you got saved this year, or we've talked to you, or haven't talked to you, and you're interested in getting baptized, we're doing that next Sunday. We'd love for you to be a part of that. It's a great, amazing, fun celebration. We do it outside, um, uh, and it's just great. We're right in the parking lot in front of everybody in the universe. So it's really fun. We do it directly following worship. If, if that's you and you're interested, please let us know. Come down front, talk to myself or Brandon. We'll get you all connected. That'll be next Sunday at the end of our worship service, uh, directly following this. Then on May 27th, Thursday night, we're having a like a good old-fashioned prayer time and hymn sing up here in the evening. So uh, we will have some child care. We'll have some dinner. Uh, but more so, it's just a time to gather on a weeknight, come up here together, have an informal time to just worship and pray together. And if you're interested, we would love for you to be a part of that. So things are happening. They're slowly stepping back into a rhythm where we're getting to do some of the things that we used to do. There's going to be a family movie night coming up in June. We've got some really fun stuff, and, and we are excited that we are feeling comfortable enough to get back into this process together. For those who have been with us for a little while, we've stepped into a new teaching series called uh, Hope and Glory. It's an exploration of the book of Hebrews, going through it verse by verse. Brandon's going to be working us through our 
next step this week, and we're excited about that. We're going to be celebrating communion together today. It's just a wonderful opportunity to gather together and worship the Lord this morning. And so we are glad that you're here with us. And as we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord again, let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you've drawn folks from all different backgrounds and walks of life to be here, whether they're visiting family or they're a mom here for the first time or they're just regular. It's been here since the day we started meeting. And um, Lord, we're grateful. We all walk through these doors with all kinds of things going on. Some fears, some struggles, some hurts, some failures, some different pieces like that, Lord. But the truth is, is that you meet us all right where we are. No matter what we're dealing with, no matter what anxiety or fear or just um, kind of lukewarm heart we're walking in with, Lord, you meet us in the middle of that. You call us out of it. You desire more for us. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you will just draw our hearts to yours. Take a moment in this place before we step back into worship and just ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him. Whatever that means, whatever you need to release or turn over, just Ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him this morning. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you have given the life of your son so that we might have full access to holy, mighty, majestic God, that we get to gather in this place and worship together again. Lord, we thank you for new faces. We thank you for faces that we've seen for a while. We thank you for the heartbeat of a community that gets to gather together and the importance of corporate worship. So, Lord, let us celebrate who you are today as we sing and as we pray and as we open up the word, teach our hearts. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's stand together and continue in worship this morning. to the beginning I can't control what tomorrow will bring but I know here in the middle is the place where you promised to be I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here Yeah. 
have a seat if you're in elementary school you can head out those doors and turn to the right and go to wonderful Sunday school class or if you're older it's probably better than what we're doing in here so uh, skip on in there I mean, hopefully not but they're great in there so man I mean that song I mean if you know anything about why it was written and who wrote it and and the the, the tragedy and the suffering that that was able, that the Lord used to create such a beautiful song that has given so much hope and rest and peace to so many people suffering for so very many years. Um, that one song alone, in my opinion, is proof that God exists and that he is with us and that he loves us and that he cares for us. Goodness. So we will be in Hebrews chapter 4 today. And uh, we're continuing on in this theme really that started in chapter 3, verse 7, and really goes all the way through um, where we're going today. We're going to kind of end this section talking about looking back at, like as we did last week in Exodus, looking back at the Israelites and what they had done in, in uh, their unbelief and not believing in God's, uh, in, in his power and his promises. And so because of that unbelief, not entering into the promised land, they'd been redeemed out of Egypt, and they were supposed to go from slavery, you know, through the water and of the, the Red Sea, then through the desert, then back through the water of, of, the, uh, of the Jordan into the Promised Land, where they were going to have rest. Well, they didn't, they didn't get there. At least that generation didn't. They, they died in the desert, and their children ended up going in and resting in the land. And it's this constant call, and using kind of Psalm, uh, not kind of, using Psalm 95 as this reference, it, he, uh, the, the author says over and over again, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We're going to get that last refrain. He says it over and over and over and over again. Well, he says it really three times. But, and, but anytime you see something repeated in the Bible that many times, you really need to pay attention. So we're going to come to an end of, of that section today, and then we're going to roll into this 
um, this part of the book explaining Jesus as, as the great high priest and what that means. And it's really a core of the entire book of Hebrews. And so Treble jump into that next week. And we look forward to it. And we're going to roll right into it. We're going to kind of stop where we're at in verse 13. You're going to be longing for this resolution. And you're going to have to wait a week. So, Or you can also just keep reading. So with that, let's pray and jump into this passage. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And, and it is indeed a, a happy Mother's Day. And for those of us, Lord, who are, um, who are breathing and who can hear my voice, we have a mother to thank for the labor of bringing us into the world. And yet I know that Mother's Day, Lord, for many is, is a time of sorrow mixed with happiness, um, the joy of, of being a mother, of celebrating mothers, and, but for some a time of sadness of, of not being a mother or of the pain that comes from having children, Lord, uh, not just birthing them but raising them and having them go into adulthood and become their own humans. And I know that it's a, it is a mixed bag for most of us, Lord, and so many of us mother, mothers have gone to the Lord and we miss them. And so I just, uh, we bring all of this to you, Lord, even in something <clears throat> so joyous as a, as a holiday, that we just bring ourselves to you and all that we have gone through this week, uh, who we are, and we're going to look at the reality of authentically coming bare before you and the freedom that comes from that. And so I just pray that, as Treb prayed earlier, that you would just prepare our hearts to receive your word and that you would... Uh, teach us, Holy Spirit, what you want us to know. Help us to understand this passage. Help us to apply it to our lives. Would you encourage us and challenge us and help us to empower us to answer your constant call to us simply to come to you. And it's in your risen name that we pray. Amen. So here we go in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. So I'm going to read through really verse 11, and then we're going to go back and, and figure it out. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger there shall never enter my rest. And yet this work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. All right, perfectly clear. So let's, uh, let's go on to verse 12. Just kidding. So, so when it says, uh, therefore, anytime there's, you see a therefore, you always ask, you know, what's it there for? And there's many of these throughout the book of Hebrews. And the next one we'll come up to is, is in uh, uh, verse 14 or maybe verse 12, depending on your translation. But it says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful. So remember, the rest that he was they're alluding to is the picture of the Israelites in the desert for 40 years, not entering the rest of going to the promised land because they did not believe in God's power and his promises. So 
but this promise of rest still stands. So he's not talking about us entering the promised land physically like they were. What's he talking about? Because he says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, this rest that we're supposed to enter into. Because this promise still stands. This promise of entering, it's still available. For we have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. We may be thinking, what? They had the gospel preached to them? Well, the gospel is good news, right? So the, the idea of they were slaves in Egypt. And they had the gospel preached to them, the good news of come out of Egypt and come into a land that I will give you. Like, this is good news. The, the whole process of the nation of Israel being redeemed out of Egypt is meant to be a picture to us of salvation. That's the entire, really, picture that we have of it. That's why it's there. I mean, it's, it's all just clear as a bell when you look back at it. In slavery, brought out through the water and into the promised land where you rest and you uh, rely on the Lord to take care of you. It's this picture of salvation. So they had this, the gospel preached to them, but in verse 2, the message they heard was of no value to them or it was of no profit to them. Why? Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. See, what good does it do to be redeemed out of slavery in Egypt and then die wandering in the desert? That wasn't the point. The point was to come out of Egypt into the promised land. That's the point, not to die in the desert. And so it was, they heard the gospel, but it didn't profit them. They heard this message of freedom, of being in this land flowing with milk and honey, but it did them no good. Why? Because they did not combine it with faith. We have to believe, like in the book of Hebrews, it's this constant message over and over and over again that our faith matters. And it's really going to build all the way up to chapter 11. This theme in this whole book is going to build up and it's going to just, this is a landmark chapter on faith in the whole Bible is Hebrews chapter 11. And this whole book is going to be pushing toward that. What is it? What is faith? What does it mean to believe? What is the picture of that? And so as you see these words faith, as you see these words believe or the opposite of it, unbelief, we're going to be running toward chapter 11. In verse 3 it says, now we, have we who have believed entered that rest. Look at the verbiage there. Now, today, we who have believed. So that's a past tense thing. Remember, Paul is writing to, to believers. He's saying, we who have believed the gospel, which was preached to us, have entered that rest. And it says, just as God declared so on my oath and my anger, they shall not enter that rest. So the opposite of that is because of their disbelief, God said that they will not enter. But we who have believed enter that rest. And it says, yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. He's going to go and he's uh, describing and looking back at God's creative work in creation. He created and then he ceased from the act of creation and rested. He rested from his work. And so when it says, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, in that passage it says, that shall never enter my rest. So this idea that God provides rest, he demonstrates rest, he himself rested. God was not tired when he got done with creation. It's not like he was like, oh, it made me really, I need a sandwich, you need to take a nap. That wasn't what, he rested because the work was done. That's the picture of rest that we have. Not because he was tired. Now, we rest because of a lot of things. One, because we're tired. But what he's talking about here is resting from the work because the work is done. Because the Israelites, they were supposed to just obey the Lord. Follow him out. Follow him through the desert. Follow him into the promised land. 
land of milk and honey, there they rest. That's the picture that we have. And that's what the author of Hebrews is calling us back to. But those who did not believe, they did not enter that rest, as it says in, in 319, because of their unbelief. And those who didn't enter that rest, because even though they had this good news preached to them, they did not apply faith to what they heard. When you do not apply faith to the gospel, you're not saved. You're not saved by hearing the word of God. You're saved by hearing the word, by hearing the gospel, and then by believing on it, then you are saved. And so he says again, and uh, in verse 5, and again in that passage he says, that shall never enter my rest. So that generation never entered the promised land. They didn't. They all died. And it's a warning looking back to them. And it, verse 6 says, it still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in. Because of why? Because of their disobedience. Remember, you, you have to, in order to enter salvation, in order to be saved, you have to do what the Savior says. You can't walk up to God and then argue with him, which is exactly what they did. The Israelites go up and they come into the land. He just, he just brought them out. He brings them through. He gives them manna in the desert. And then they come to a place where there is no water. And then they say, are you really with us or not, Lord? So the Lord provides water for them. And then they, they, they do all this series of things. And finally, they, after they send the spies in, they don't believe. And God says, you know what, this generation, you won't believe me. Your hearts are hard. You can stay in the desert. Therefore, in verse 7, God again set a certain day, calling it today. So a long time later, he spoke, spoke. So he's talking about back in that time, that day was called today. And he called to them and said, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, when they're in the desert at Meribah, where they, where they got the waters, where they argued, where they bickered with the Lord, and then again through David. David writes this Psalm 95 looking back on that time. And God again through David or through the author of Psalm 95 writes to them, if today if you hear his voice don't harden your hearts. And again in Hebrews, while this book is being written, he's calling to the people who are reading the book of Hebrews right after it was written. Today if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts. And then today, today in, in Oklahoma City, in this very day, God is calling us to the same thing. If you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. It is the exact same phrase the exact same refrain because God doesn't change and the gospel doesn't change. The gospel is always come to God and be saved. And if you harden your heart to it, you won't be saved. He said if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. And then it says there remains then a Sabbath rest. That word Sabbath hyphen rest or Sabbath rest only occurs once in the New Testament right here. And it says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And then there's, at least in my version, verse 10 as a semicolon. So connecting that idea. For anyone who enters God's rest must also rest from his own work just as God did from his. So this Sabbath rest, I think most commentaries, and I agree, is looking forward to the final rest that believers will have in God. In the new heaven, in the new earth, in the new creation, there will be no uh, tears, there will be no sadness, there will be no sin, and we will cease from our, our toil against sin, against the flesh, against the, the fallen world that we live in. It will be a place where there will be total rest and peace. It's, it's why we say rest in peace on people's headstones. That's what they're looking forward to. Even the secular world thinks, man, after this world, there's got to be something. So we say rest in peace to people who have died because that's what you want, because we've labored. And this idea that there remains for the people of God a Sabbath rest a time when we will no longer have to deal with and suffer 
the pain of loss and sin and destruction and sadness when that will be over. If you live 85 or 90 years, you've lived a very long life. Compared to a billion years, it's not very long. It's this tiny, tiny little sliver of time that we have to walk by faith, that we have to walk in suffering. It's just supposed to be between Egypt and the promised land. It's like a couple weeks walk, not very long. And there remains this rest for us. But then it says, anyone who enters God's rest must rest from his work. What does that mean? Well, if God says, I want you to come out of Egypt, and you're just going to do what I say, and you're going to walk through the desert, eat the manna, follow this pillar of cloud, follow this pillar of fire, and you get to the promised land. And you say, no, we're going to stand in the desert. I know that we get food, we plant food, and we grow food, and that's how we're going to get our food. Well, that's not doing what God said, which is called disobedience. If God says to do this and you don't, you're disobeying the Lord. And so you have to rest from your own effort to save yourself, to have peace, to have comfort, and to have rest. You have to rest from your, you have to stop your own effort. You have to rest from your own work just as God did from his. Not because he's tired, but because the work is finished. See, why is it that you and I can enter into this rest? Who won that rest for us? Jesus. Jesus won this great Sabbath rest, this time in the future when we will no longer toil, where we will no longer have to deal with sin. Christ won that for us as part of our inheritance. And so because his work is finished, we don't have to work for that salvation. So when you hear phrases like, you can't work for your salvation, or you can't earn it, that's what it means. It means that the work is finished. It's done. The work of Christ on the cross happened once for all. The penalty of sin has been paid. Nothing anyone can ever do can pay again the penalty for sin because Christ paid it. It's done. The one to whom the debt was owed has canceled it. It's gone. It's over. The only thing that you have to do now is to rest from our labors and to rest in God's work. But you can't do both at the same time. You can't earn your salvation and then rest in it at the same time. It's impossible. Just like you can't walk east and west at the same time. I guess you can split in two, which is kind of what James talks about, this double-minded man. Do we do it all the time? Try to get a little bit of both worlds. But as we get into in the next few uh, verses here, there's no hiding from the truth. So, verse 11, let us, so because of those things, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Okay, so... The author here is like, listen, he understands that it takes effort to enter that rest. What kind of effort is he talking about? Not the effort of, of, of saving ourselves or the effort of, of bearing the weight of our own salvation in the gospel. Or even back to the, the picture of the Israelites, the effort that they had to get into the promise. And they couldn't do that on their own. But the effort to enter the rest is what? What's the single thing that keeps us from resting in this passage? Unbelief. That's it. So our effort is that, you know what? Just like he, Paul tells us in Philippians, some ways we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's work because belief sometimes doesn't just come easy. It's not like I wake up and I'm like, yeah, everything's perfect. I don't have any doubts in the world. What? That's ridiculous. Guess what? Walking with Jesus is hard. 
anybody who says so is different is selling you something. Jesus says, follow me. Deny yourself, okay, which is totally contrary to everything that we as Americans want to do. Deny yourself. I want to elevate myself. I want to glorify myself. I want to satisfy myself. That's what I want to do. And I want you to do the same thing with me. I want all of you to agree that I'm the greatest human ever. And then I want all of you to spend the rest of your energies building me up. That's the American dream, right? Jesus says, deny yourself. And then he says, take up your cross. Willingly suffer because of me. Suffer. See suffering coming, saying Christ is with me. I will carry my cross into that suffering because it's for his glory and for someone else's good. Why can't I do that? Because I've denied myself. If I deny myself, then taking up my cross is the next logical progression. That means we're going to suffer. And then he says, follow me. Where did Jesus go? Jesus went to Calvary. So you and I didn't have to. And then he wants us to go and he wants us to take that message of salvation to the rest of the world. That's what he wants us to do. Guess what? It ain't easy. And the world and the flesh and the devil are constantly after us. Constantly trying to undermine us. This is what we looked at last week. Undermining us. That's what uh, sin does. Sin is deceitful. And it tricks us. It hides the truth from us so that we think that we understand. We're like, oh, I've got everything together. I have no questions. I've got it all figured out. And guess what? The word of God, as we're going to see, comes in and reveals what we're thinking and reveals our heart to us. So he says, make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So the next verse right here is verse 12, which is, if you've memorized Bible verses, this is one that you've probably memorized. So it says this, for the word of God, the, the logos of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes or intentions of the heart. So a question you ask is, okay, in this passage, talking about entering the Sabbath rest, in this great passage of warning, do not walk away. Do not disbelieve. And if you're struggling with disbelief, I want you to turn and go to the only one who can save you. You've heard the gospel. You must believe on it. Come into the promised land. All this great picture of things. Why is this verse here? The Holy Spirit wasn't just slapping verses out. He's not like words, 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 random words. He has a point. It's here for a reason. It's here where it is for a reason. Why? Why is it that in this call to make every effort to enter that rest, to uh, cease from your own work, to, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, to um, um, don't fall short. And that word fall short, by the way, in verse 11, it means like to, um, means to be left behind in a race. Like you're running and everybody else is running in front of you and you sort of stop running. So the idea is keep running. Keep running the race that you started. Why is a word about God's word in here? How many of you have ever had a surgery? Like an actual legit surgery, go under all the way, they, you, you, know, you pay somebody to cut you, and then they, you do stuff. So, so here's just from an outsider's perspective. I've, I've only had one surgery or two. I'll get my wisdom teeth. You know, I had two little surgeries, nothing big. But um, you go in, and you go to this person who's called a doctor, who goes to school for a very long time, and they're very smart people, and they study a whole bunch, and they, they practice medicine, and they, they work, and they do these residencies, and it's this amazing, incredible process, and and, and then they, they become doctors, and then there's other doctors, and they, they give you drugs to make you go to sleep, and then there's nurses, and there's all these people that work together, and let's say you have something wrong with you, and the doctor says, well, you need to have surgery. So you say, okay, uh, I'll, I'll have surgery. Okay, what does that entail? That entails you go, and you um, don't eat for like a day, and then uh, you come in, and we put a funny gown on you, and then 
um, this person who studied a whole bunch, he's going to give your body drugs that will make you totally incapacitated. And you will be alive, but you will not know it, and you'll be totally unconscious. And then while you're unconscious, we're going to take this thing called a scalpel, and we're going to clean the area really good, and there's a whole bunch of us, and we, we're really good at it, and we're going to cut open your body. And then we're going to do some stuff. Maybe we're going to take something bad out, or we're going to replace something that's broken, or we're going to fix something that tore, and then we're going to sew it back up. And then you're going to wake back up. So, okay, fine. And I'm going to pay you to do all this? Yes. Okay. Great. Let's do it. Sounds like madness, right? You don't even know these people. Even if the doctor was like my best, best friend, I don't know the other people. I don't know who all, I'm, you're, I'm, you're totally vulnerable. What can you do? When you, nothing. You can do nothing. You're totally vulnerable. And yet we willingly go under the knife, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of times a day. Why? Why would someone do that? Because they need it. And sometimes it's the difference between life and death. If you have a tumor in your body that's killing you, a surgeon come in and say, I will take the tumor out. So you're like, whatever you need to do. That's what you hear. People who have cancer, they're like, fine, whatever. I'll do chemo. I'll do, I will intentionally irradiate my body so that the cancer doesn't kill me. That's what we do because we're desperate. Why do we come to the word of God? Because we are desperate. We are in desperate need of something. When it says that the word of God is like a double-edged sword, I had a, a professor in seminary that called it a, a scalpel because it can penetrate. There's nothing that a scalpel can't get to in the body, right? It can penetrate to the dividing of joints and marrow. It says the word of God can penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit. There's this giant philosophical debate about whether or not you are dichotomous, meaning of two parts, body and soul slash spirit, or trichotomous, that we are a body and then we're a soul, like our mind and our will and our emotions, and then we're spiritual, right? We can't even figure out philosophically what we are. And yet God says, I can come in and I can show you where the difference between things that you can't even comprehend is. And I can do it through my word. And then it judges the thoughts and intentions or attitude of the heart. Do you know that none of us can judge one another's hearts, really? If I see an outward behavior, I can make intuitive decisions. I can look at body language or I can look at past behavior. I can make a reasonable um, assumption about some things. But I can't actually look at your heart and see what's in it. I can't. Uh, Jeremiah said there, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't know your heart. And there are people, I mean, man, you see it in the news every day. If it's not Rabbi Zacharias, it's a, a Josh or James Duggar, whatever his name is. He was deceiving people left and right. Left and right. He had accountability software on his computer that he was looking at awful things with. Why? Because his heart was deceiving him. And it was deceiving other people. But the word of God can judge my heart. And here's verse 13, which is one of those ones that not many people uh, needlepoint into stuff or put on a t-shirt. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering that rest still stands, let us be careful. Other versions say, let us fear. It's because the Greek word there is, is phobeo. It's where you get the word for phobia from. It means to fear. Why? Let us fear and be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Read verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Period. Next sentence. Everything is uncovered 
that word literally means to be, to be made naked or to be uh, removed of all your exterior clothing and you're just in your undergarments. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. This is one of the few times that, that word laid bare happens in the New Testament. It's the base word for the word throat that we get the word trachea from. And the thing that means uh, a move like a wrestler would bend somebody's head back to put them in a submissive move. Everything is laid bare, naked, with their throat laid open before what? The eyes of him to whom we must give account. If that does not make you fear, you need to wake up. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. What about the pornography that you looked at on your phone this week? Is that hidden from God's sight? No. What about the thought that you had about your sister? Is that hidden from God's sight? No. What about the hours that you stole from your employer by not working this week? What about the taxes you filed and weren't honest with? What about the way that you dismissed your neighbor when they were in need? What about the way that you have bitterness in your heart towards your husband or towards your wife? What about the feelings that you have of judgment toward that, that homeless dude that's on the corner? You're like, surely he's just lazy. Surely he's just a bum. Do you know him? Can you judge the thoughts and intentions of his heart? Are you God? All the things that we think and that we do and that we say and that we feel will all be laid before the eyes of God to whom we must give account. Everybody. Nobody is excluded. And that terrifies me. And it should terrify you too. I don't, if you believe that God exists or if you don't believe that God exists or if you've got questions or if you're like, I don't know all the answers to that, I don't either. I believe that God exists. I mean, I don't have all the answers to all your questions. But what I do know is that there is a God and that he loves us. Hey, Joseph. There is a God and that he loves us and that everything that we do will eventually be laid before him. It's like we'll all be uncovered and out on the table. Yo, seriously, brother. That's why we need Jesus, which is where I'm going. Uh-huh. Including all the stuff that you do. Uh-huh. It'll all get laid open. That's right. When you stole cookies, the Lord saw that, Jojo. We had chocolate left over from s'mores last night. We had enough chocolate bars left over for everybody to have one more s'more today. This morning I awoke and there were no more chocolate bars. And none of my children did it. None of them. It was either Jenny or I or the cat that got in there and ate them and then somehow threw the wrappers in the garbage. Um, that will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom they must give account, right? So... Just to make light of it, it was getting kind of heavy. So, the reality of it is that we can't get away from him. And in a minute here, we're going to look at Psalm 139, which is this exactly looking at that. That there's nothing that we can do to get away from a God who will judge us for what we do. That's really scary. And I'm not going to leave it here entirely, but next week starts off, Therefore we have a great high priest. We have someone, his name is Jesus, and he took all of those things that worry us, that God will see, and he bore them on himself, and he died on the cross in our place. And because of that, we can have freedom, that there is now, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil, the accuser, cannot accuse you of your sin if you have faith in Christ. He cannot because that sin got laid on Jesus. That does not mean that you have to, that you cannot walk in faithfulness and you can keep walking in sin and disobedience and unbelief, that would be dumb. That's like taking off your life vest when you're floating in the ocean. 
You can paddle for a while, but eventually you're going to sink. Don't let go of your Savior. That is the message of Hebrews. And we're going to get into whether or not you're once saved and always saved. And we believe the perseverance of the saints and all of these things. And it all works out. That all sounds great on paper. But then we start living out the real life of things. Hebrews is simply calling us to believe. And not get lost in the argument of all of these things. It's just saying believe the gospel. That's why it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So then the question I have, i got two questions. One is, when was the last time you rested? I don't mean when was the last time you, you slept. Some of you have parents of young children here. That is not often enough. And I'm glad those days are mostly behind us. So, I mean rested from your work. Rested from the work of earning money. Rested from the work of earning enough to do this, enough to do that, enough to do this, enough to pay for that, pay for this debt, pay for that. Rested. I don't mean that you don't work. But like the model of God working six days and resting one, he didn't just do that on accident. The idea of resting from our labor, just I'm talking about like physical work labor, is that we are trusting the Lord to take care of us. I know that things happen, you get an ox in the ditch or whatever, but intentionally saying, Lord, I'm going to rest from work today as a demonstration of my trust in you to provide for us. So when was the last time you rested? When was the last time you rested spiritually? Do you feel like you're constantly having to work? Like, if I don't do this, if I don't read my Bible, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, if I don't come to church, if I don't pay my tithe, if I don't do blah, 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 there's a giant list of things. Don't, you know, don't, you don't uh, drink, dance, or chew, or go around with girls that do, or whatever list you have. Right? I mean, it's a fun rhyme, I guess. Uh, granted, I, I don't have anything. You know, my great-grandmother apparently dipped snuff, so she loved the Lord, apparently. So I guess she was, didn't fall into that category. But the idea of are you working to earn God's love and acceptance? Because you can't. You cannot earn what was already paid for. He gives it to you, lavishes you with it, dumps it out. It's like if you need, if your love bucket is this 55-gallon drum, God is the Pacific Ocean. And you can just go back and you can fill it up a million, hundred, bazillion times. I don't know what the math is on buckets and the Pacific Ocean, but it's more than you've got. And so just keep going back to him and he will fill it up with his love. And rest in your work in order to rest in his. Does that make sense? You rest from your labor, not of working at your salvation, not of loving, not of surrendering to Jesus, but of trying to earn his acceptance. If you have put your faith in Christ for your salvation, you are accepted. You are his son. You are his daughter, and he loves you. And he wants you, and he calls you constantly into fellowship with him, which is what we'll get into next week. So when was the last time you rested? And... The last thing I want to ask you is, um, when was the last time you laid your heart bare before the Lord? And I want to turn to Psalm 139. Hebrews uses the Psalms over and over and over again. The whole book is almost an explanation of Psalm 110. And it is just replete with references to the Psalms. So we're going to turn to Psalm 139, which is this beautiful Psalm of David dealing with really this exact thing. So Psalm 139 says this. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He's saying, Lord, the Lord is... Do you understand the fact that the Lord would search him and know him? 
It's this active pursuit that the Lord has of us. God knows us already. He's not learning like about you. He's like, oh, wow, I discovered that he really likes like Honey Nut Cheerios. That's not what it's saying. He's, it's the idea of being fully known by God. Whatever he does, wherever he does it, whatever he thinks, whatever he says, God knows it. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. This is terrifying. Especially when you have children and you say one thing off the cuff and you hurt their little souls. And if I had just thought, Lord, you know my words that are about to come out, would you make them good? Then it says this. I feel like if someone, someone who would fully know me, know all of my thoughts, all of my past, all the things I've thought or done or wanted to do, or, and, and who discerns my going out, my, and, he, and he's familiar with all my ways, I would think that whoever that being was, that he would want to have nothing to do with me. Because without Jesus, I'm, I'm awful. I'm, I'm mean, and I'm short-tempered, and I don't like people because they bug me. That's me without Jesus. I don't want to be around me without the Lord. How does God respond to me? You hem me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Think about that. He's got his hand. He hems me in. He's got what's behind me. He's got what's in front of me. And then his hand is gently over me, protecting me. What a beautiful picture that God, instead of running away from us, reaches his hands in and protects us and guards us. He hems me in. And then this is why in verse 6 he says, Your such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Because David understands his own heart. Why would God want me? And then in verse 7 he goes back, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand hold me fast. It's like a little kid with their hand in their dad's hand. And the kid can try to can walk, but the parent has it. Like when your kids are little and they're walking, it doesn't matter if they fall over an infinite chasm. I'll just pick them up and we'll walk over the chasm and we keep walking. He's not going to fall because I'm not going to fall. because I'm not going to fall because he's going to get hurt if I fall. So I, if, if I'm going to do that, how much greater is the Lord to hold us? And then verse 11, surely I say, uh, the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. I can go to where it's dark. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. Nowhere he goes, nowhere thing he experiences, no, far, no distance, no time, no place, no thought, no experience, no philosophy, no nothing can hide him from the Lord. And then in verse 13, For you created my inmost being, my soul. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It's not meant to be a Mother's Day sermon, but that rolls right into it. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It does not take a genius biologist to look at a grasshopper and see that God's works are wonderful. Or to look at a baby and say, his works are wonderful. Keegan was driving, we're driving to work today, our church today, and he's like, isn't it amazing that your taste buds, how they work? Like, yeah, it is amazing. You got these things on your tongue and they taste like bitter and sweet and salty and, and sour. And you eat something and it like connects, it's all hardwired to your brain. And then it, it's incredible. We can't build a tongue that tastes stuff. And God makes one like a billions of times. Because wonderful are his works. And then he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written, written in your book before one of them came to be. And so all that you've done, all that the days are before you, God already knows these things. And so he says in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I am awake, I am still with you. Do you know that God has thoughts and he's written a bunch of them down in his word and he invites us to know him through it? Do you engage in his invitation? And now in verse 19 through 22, we get real with David. Because he's like, the no, no matter where I go, you know my thoughts, you know my heart, you know my struggle, so I may as well just share it with you, Lord. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? Those are real feelings. He's talking about hate. I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. This is what's in David's heart. Why is he sharing this to the Lord? Because he knows anyway. And it helps David. And then look at this in verse 23 and 24. And this is where we're going to end. Look at this invitation. And I want you to make this your prayer for this week. Search me, O God, and know my heart. He's saying, look, if Hebrews is going to say, before him, who, before him all things will be laid bare. Nothing that is to be known will be left unknown. I want you, Lord God, to know my heart right now. And I want to know that you know my heart. He says, test me or try me and know my anxious thoughts. Do you have anxious thoughts? He's asking the Lord to know them and to reveal them to him. And then look at this in verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. See if there's a hurtful thought in my heart, Lord, a hurtful, a hurtful word, a hurtful uh, idea, a hurtful behavior that I'm doing. Help me to stop that behavior and lead me in the everlasting way, the way of righteousness and peace and kindness and goodness. Lead me into the land of rest. That's what he's saying. Make that your prayer today. And we're going to close and go into communion, which is this beautiful picture of our ability to do this. So please bow your heads with me as we pray and move into communion to end our time of worship. Lord, we love you and thank you for your great kindness and graciousness to us. I thank you that you know us and you know all of the depth and brokenness of our heart. You know our struggles, you know our sadnesses, you know our griefs. And yet you call us constantly to yourself that you want us to come and lay our hearts bare to you, Lord. To come to you and to lay down all pretenses, to lay down all ideas that I have, and to lay down thoughts, doubts, sins, to bring them to you, Lord Jesus. I ask, oh God, that you would help us this week. Help us to search you and help us to be searched by you. And that we would realize that the penetrating gaze of your eyes into our heart is the most freeing light that can be shown into our hearts. Release us, Lord Jesus, from our sins and our struggles and into the rest that you have for us. Lord, as you lead us into communion, would you help us, Lord, to do that very thing, to commune with you there, to remember what you have done, and to walk in the peace and the rest that you have won for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
It is such an incredible picture, if we really think about it, the idea that everything that we are and parts and thoughts that we have, things that we do, that they're all laid bare before God, and they're all due his judgment, and that is a petrifying thing. But as Brandon alluded to, next week we're going to step into this idea, but it says, but therefore we have a high priest, meaning that there is a remedy for that reality of judgment, and that remedy is the person of Jesus Christ, that high priest that goes before us in communion is a picture of that incredible um, saving grace of Christ. And we get to celebrate that truth. We're not left sitting in that judgment of fear, but the idea that knowing fully that Jesus has rescued and saved is what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. It's what we celebrate and we join with believers across space and time in celebrating this truth. It is truly the uniting factor of Christianity is that Jesus is alive and has given us hope in him. The very night that he was betrayed, the night that all of those that walked with him and spent time with him would abandon him and run, the very night that he would scrub the disciples' feet, uh, moments before he'd be arrested and put on a sham of a trial, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup and he said, This cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That this is the new covenant poured out for you. That as long as we take this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. The Apostle Paul tells us that we don't enter into this meal carelessly, but we should examine our hearts and understand what Christ did for us, asking God to free us from sin, um, confessing our shortcomings. Um, This is not something we do out of habit, but it's a very important and deep part of our worship. And so we implore you this morning that before you take this meal, to go before the Lord and lay bare your heart, open up the things of your soul that God already knows, confess and ask for freedom in Christ. This table is not a denominational table. It's open to all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. This morning we're taking communion by means of COVID style, which is over there in pre-made cups, just like Jesus intended, I guess. And uh, we ask you to take a cup of the juice and the bread, and you can return to your seat and take it on on your own. Um, But as you feel led and encouraged, um, as Don, our worship team, lead us in worship, we invite you to come down and share in this meal with us. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to um, open your word, to worship, to gather corporately, to spend time together. Lord, it's such a valuable part of who we are as a community, and not just our community, but who we are as a body of Christ. So, Lord, we ask that as we celebrate this meal, as we worship together, as we reflect on your word, Lord, that you would instruct our hearts, that you would do something mysterious and amazing um, as we celebrate this meal together, Father. Lord, this uh, meal is a picture of your word. Um, Lord, it is... It is you. You, Jesus, are the word of God. You are the logos of God. And therefore, um, you judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. You divide even joints and marrow, soul, and spirit, Lord. And so, God, we ask that you would um, examine our hearts, that you would step in where we fail, which is everywhere, and that you would remedy us through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we celebrate this meal together in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. As you feel called and led, we invite you to come down and partake in this meal and then remain standing as we close our time and worship together as a community.
It has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold my sin has been defeated. Jesus now. chains are released i can sing i am free yet not i but through christ in me with every breath i long to follow jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day i know he will renew me until i stand with joy before the throne to this i hold my hope is only jesus 
So you have a week to go through now, and uh, if you are struggling to engage in the Bible and don't know how, there's a, a sheet of paper out there by an iPad, and our church is going through the book of Colossians this week, chapter 3, and there's a study guide there. You can take it, and for five minutes a day, you read through a couple of verses, ask a couple of questions, talk to the Lord about it, ask him to reveal your heart to him, uh, to yourself, I mean, and just bury your heart before him. If you don't know how to do that, just shoot me an email or ask me afterwards, start in Psalm 1, read over what we read today. Just get into the Word of God, bear your heart before Him, and allow Him to keep your heart tender toward Him. We'll go in peace.
So God, be my vision, be my holy truth. I'll be the branches if you'll be the root. I'll give up my life, yeah, I'll go through the grave. Lay on your shore and be washed by your waves. Lay on your shore and be washed by your Oh, I found my home.